Ilaidi. One of Karelioge and listen to WRSC 88.7. You're listening to the Blue Jay Boys Show with Big Chuck, Sackman, and Senor Diaz. Only on WRSE. How's everybody doing? This is Big Chuck coming at you live with WRC 88.7 FM Blue Jay Radio. And like the intro said, you're listening to the Blue Jay Boys Show. I got Senor Diaz to my left here, Sackman right in front of me. We've got a great show for you guys today. Sackman is also going live on his TikTok. What's the TikTok yeah. name, Sackman? What's up? What's the TikTok name? Sackman Sports, baby. So we got a special uh, a part of the show later on where it's going to be helpful to see for that. So we'll stay tuned for that part, and the TikTok Live will be showing some of that. Uh, we're going to go through the championship games, uh, give you guys a preview of the Super Bowl, and that's where our special segment is. Um, then we're going to run down some of the head coaching hires that have been happening across the league recently. Uh, after that, we're going to take a uh, little break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk through the NBA. We're kind of a little past the halfway point here, getting up on the all-star breaks. We're going to give you guys a rundown of the top 16 teams in the league. To start off the show, we wanted to go back and look at some of those championship games that happened this this weekend. Let's start off with the NFC. Uh, people can generally say that was the worst of the two games, uh, mostly because of injuries for the 49ers. Exactly what happened in that one. Yeah, I mean, that was a rough game for the 49ers. I mean, you know, Brock Purdy gets hurt you know early in the game they were tied 7-7 even after the injury for a little bit and then you know of course Josh Johnson goes down and they basically have to run a double wing offense with no absolutely no quarterbacks and the only thing they can do is run inside with McCaffrey and outside with Debo basically like a double wing with him going in motion and getting the handoff and going outside I mean very rough game for the 49ers I mean hey, who knows they could have won that game they was was tied 7-7 at one point but you know, you don't have you literally don't have a quarterback. So as a result, very tough game for the Niners. I thought the Eagles defense that pass rushes they've had the second most sacks since the nineteen eighty five Bears. Best pass rush we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean at one point Kyle Uschuk was the backup quarterback for the 49ers. There was a very real possibility that he'd go into that yeah. game. Um Brock Purdy ended up being somewhat healthy enough. Uh it turns out he has a UCL injury uh as an About six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very serious injury that he risked a lot going back into that game. Uh, you know, I had to give him props for that. But at the same time, the moment he went back in that game, you kind of knew the game was over. Yeah. You could, they, they saw him uh, wording uh, on the camera to Kyle Shanahan that he couldn't throw the ball. Yeah, he said, I can't throw. So, I mean, if you're getting a close-up shot of that, <laughs> come on, it tells you everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Christian McCaffrey did all he could. Uh, Christian McCaffrey was an awesome addition for this 49ers team. Oh, definitely. Um, I think this playoffs, this 49ers team doesn't get as far, nearly as far as they do without Christian McCaffrey, a part of that team. Um, the other side of that is this defense gave it all they could in this game with yeah. no help from the offense. None whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, and this Eagles team just ended up being better because 49ers didn't have a quarterback. I think if they have a quarterback this game, a real one, who you knows know, what happens? Kind of gun round in the fourth quarter. I think so. Yeah, and I th- I think the 49ers had a very real chance of you know winning it. Um, you know later in the game, Trent Williams started a little Oof. bit of a brawl there. Oof. You know, um, I was thinking about that. He grabs the dude's back of his uh, shoulder pads, rips him down. And I was just thinking when I saw it happen, I was like, I would be so mad that somebody ripped me down like that, and then be Just-oh. so scared the moment you looked up, it was 
the monster Trent Williams. That's the best left tackle in the league, man. He's a unit. Yeah. Uh, so that was probably the most interesting part of this game. Um, you know, sticking on this 49ers, a lot of people are questioning what's going to happen with the quarterback position this offseason. And I think this Brock Purdy injury kind of throws another wrench into, you know, what a lot of people were thinking. What do you guys think is going to happen with quarterback this offseason? Personally, with the 49ers, what I think they should do is I think they should pick between Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. You pick uh, whoever you like most out of those two. You trade the other one, and then you go sign Tom Brady and let him get one more ring, lead you to the promised land. Because this is the last year where they're going to be able to have everyone on defense. Because last year, Bosa's rookie deal. Oh, uh, Armstead's going to be up, I believe, in a couple years. Uh, Warner, too, as well. He just signed his, but still. And you're going to have Ward and all the guys in the secondary. Next year, 2023, is going to be, you know, that's the probably the last year they'll be able to keep up everyone on this defense. I say you just go and get Brady. He's probably going to play only one more year. He's This offense fits what he does. They don't need a running quarterback. They just need to make smart, quick decisions, don't turn the ball over. Brady's obviously one of the greatest ever to do that. I, if I were the 49ers, I would go out and get, get Brady, trade Trey Lance, have Brock Purdy learn, recover, because it didn't take him six months to recover from the UCL injury, and then – have Brady win the Super Bowl, he retires, and then Brock Purdy's ready to take over. Josh, what do you think? Um, I kind of like how what Sackley said, but I, I think in, you know, with what I would do is keep Garoppolo on the bench, start Purdy, you know, let him rehab and whatever. I mean, he showed a lot of um, – he stepped up to the plate and showed a, showed a lot, like what he could offer for being Mr. Irrelevant. And a lot of it had to do, you know, he had Debo Samuel on offense. He had McCaffrey on the offense. He had a really stacked defense, you know, to help him bail him out whenever. But then again, he's a good quarterback. You know, I'm not going to downplay him and whatever. And, I mean, I think you keep him as your starter. You keep Garoppolo as a backup. Trade away Trey Lance because he has some decent uh, trade value, like player value. So I think you can get, you know, a couple picks out of him. I think I think so. Um, and you know, you just, you take your time, you get Brock healed up and then you just start getting him rolling with the playbook and everything else once he's healthy, because I mean, like I said, they have everyone on defense for another year or two, maybe only a year. And, but like your offense is stacked. I mean, maybe you can add some upgrades here and there, but I mean, other than that, you like the backfield's amazing. The receiving core is amazing. They have no weaknesses, really. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I just keep it the same and just make it back to this stage healthy, and you're winning and going to the Super Bowl. Both of you guys mentioned trading Trey Lance. Where would you guys trade him to? Where do you see a place Trey Lance would be traded to? I could see, like, a, a Colts or a Texans, someone who's, who, someone who's in real need of a quarterback, but also a quarterback who can run and throw. So, you know, um, as opposed to drafting a Bryce Young, maybe getting a Trey Lance because um, he's, you know, coming off of what, ACL? Uh, yeah. Yeah, coming uh, off of ACL. Broken ankle. Broken ankle, right, right, right. Correct, yeah. Um, broken ankle, I mean, it's going to be a little shaky to run, but, I mean, once he gets comfortable, he's going to get comfortable and just run, you know? And I'd rather take that risk than have a bust of a quarter. Not saying that they're bust coming in, but if he – happens to be a bus coming out of the draft you know i'd rather like trey lance. <laughs> yeah like i'd rather take my chances on trey lance who's maybe had a 
little bit of experience, but knows what he's doing already and knows what his role is now that he's injury prone like that. Yeah, I'd say maybe like a Raiders. Jets or strike out on Derek Carr, Rodgers, and Lamar, and don't feel like drafting Anthony Richardson, then maybe the Jets, but I don't see that happening. Uh, other than that, I'd say maybe maybe like a team like Minnesota. You know, Kirk Cousins is getting older. Maybe they want a guy that can come in, learn, and maybe take over for Cousins in a year or two because they're not going to have much cap space, and Kirk Cousins' deal is, I mean, he's the best agent in football. As we've seen over these few years, I mean, his deal is massive. The Falcons wouldn't be bad. Yeah, Falcons, I could see them. They should have drafted either him or Fields back in 2021. I mean, now they got, they don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. They got Mariota, they got Ritter. Ritter didn't look too good. Mariota definitely isn't the answer. Who knows what they're going to do? Yeah. I mean, I don't see a world where the Jets strike out on all three of those guys on Jackson. Uh, Carr and you know Brady or Rodgers, whoever they're going to go after. I think there's, they're going to go hard after one of those guys. They want a better in quarterback to kind of match where they feel like they're at in their competitiveness. Um, you know, I think India is a spot that would be interesting. They keep talking about how they don't really want an old quarterback anymore. Uh, they came out and said that that they're looking for somebody younger now because they've tried the old quarterback experiment. It's just not working out for them. Um, and Trey Lance also kind of fits in that because he's a veteran technically he's played a couple of years or been in the league a couple yeah. of years um, but he's also still a very young player and still has a lot of untapped potential I think a lot of people see in him um, I don't know how much I see that in him but I've seen other stuff happen Geno Smith was a Pro Bowl quarterback this year yeah so any anything can happen um, you know I think a team like the Rams would possibly give him a shot uh, depending on what Matthew Stafford does this offseason. Again, you know, nobody really knows what he's planning on right now uh, at this point in his career at the stage that the Rams are at. Um, so something could happen there where they just have Baker Mayfield and Trey Lance on the roster and kind of have a quarterback battle there, try to find their quarterback of the future through that. Um, you know, and I, I don't think there's any team in the league that's really looking at him and saying, nah, I wouldn't take him at least for a backup. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in Trey Lance. I think the 49ers are going to have a lot of spots uh, to possibly trade him. Uh, Josh, you talked about keeping Jimmy Garoppolo. Exactly. You were saying, you know, you would probably let Garoppolo walk. Where would you see Garoppolo going? <coughs> see a team like the Jets. If they don't, I mean, Jets need a quarterback regardless. I could see him maybe going to the Raiders, reuniting with Josh McDaniels. Back in the day, uh, who knows? We don't know what Bill Belichick's doing nowadays. Bill Belichick is losing touch. He's, you know, it's been rough since Brady left. And Garoppolo was his, his wonder boy, his guy that he wanted to ditch Tom Brady back in 2015 for. He's always liked Garoppolo. He texted Jimmy Garoppolo, congratulations, once they made the Super Bowl in 2019, uh, early 2020. He could go back to New England and battle out with Mac Jones. Uh, other than that, I can't see anywhere else i mean if the giants moved on from daniel jones which i don't think they're gonna do maybe the giants but other than that i mean how you were how you said earlier with um getting rogers to uh san fran the player trade with some picks i you know maybe if that's something that worked out between them and garoppolo ending up in green bay yeah yeah i think las vegas or green bay <clears throat> would be good spots depending on which 
one of those guys really gets moved, I think obviously Las Vegas is going to have that spot. They're going to move on from Derek Carr no matter what. But if uh, Aaron Rodgers is moved on from in Green Bay, I think Green Bay would be a really interesting spot for Jimmy Garoppolo to go. I think that's a guy that they would probably give a shot because they still feel like they're contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a good bridge quarterback to kind of keep them in that contender range while also you know saying that they're ready to move on from that Rodgers era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going over to the winners of this game, the Eagles will dominate in this game. Their offense, you know, didn't get a lot going, but they it didn't matter. Ball. It didn't matter, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is something we've seen for the past couple of weeks is that they're running the ball, like you were saying, exactly. Uh, is there anything that you think they're going to have to change against this Chiefs defense versus different from what they're doing now? I think they're going to need to get a little bit more on the passing game. You know. They've averaged 140 yards passing these first two games. They haven't needed to pass. But you're going to go against Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. He's going to put up points. You're going to need to be able to pass the ball, and I think they'll be able to pass the ball. I mean, in the f- against the Giants, Jalen Hurts looked very good passing. He's a little inaccurate against the 49ers. He missed some throws. But I think they'll be fine if they continue running the ball like this. They'll be just fine. But they got to open up the passing game a little bit more and just continue to run the ball, and they'll be fine. I mean, they've scored over 30 points in each of the games. They're a high-rolling machine. I mean, they did the Giants and definitely the 49ers. That's two top ten defenses. I think they've been very impressive so far. big part is hopefully Lane Johnson can just hang on for one more game. He's playing through that abdominal injury, and he also retours groin. Landon Dickerson got hurt, but they expect him to play. Hurts has the sh- banged-up shoulder, which I don't think is too banged up anymore. As we saw in that one drive in the second half, they ran him four straight times. But now he's got two weeks to heal that. The O-line just stays healthy. They can run the ball, handle Chris Jones, which I think they will be able to do. I think they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I think the Eagles are a much better team than the Chiefs, if I'm being honest. What do you think is the Eagles' biggest weakness? The biggest weakness this season has been their run defense. But that was kind of in that little early to middle part of the season when Jordan Davis first went out. It's no longer an issue just because, you know, they're the number one passing defense, but they're, you know, they're 20th in uh, run defense. But other than that, which the Chiefs aren't really much of a running team, so other than Pacheco getting a like couple runs. yards last game. Yeah. That was their leading rusher. Uh, I'd just say the only real weakness the Eagles have is sometimes their passing game just gets stagnant. But other than that, they should be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Eagles team just looks – miles ahead of Kansas City like you were saying I think honestly like even before we get to that prediction the Eagles have this game in the back or they should you know and I, I said it last week for Patrick Mahomes and we'll shift over to that game now um you know you never count Patrick Mahomes out oh, no. and he proved it this week against the Bengals uh this whole Chiefs team team did um what what do you think happened in this game for the Bengals to shut down like that towards the end you know that offensive line, it was. It looked like a certain Twitter personality was their O-line coach <laughs> on that day. I mean, when Bengals O-line, it's, it's just like the duality of man. Like, when they look good, they look good. Like, they dominated a playoff game against the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. From start to finish, ran the ball, pass protected. But when they struggle, their struggle is different than everyone <laughs> else. Like, when they struggle... You thought the Bears had it bad? <laughs> like, oh, okay. like, yeah, exactly. Like when the Bears O line struggles, it's like okay, we you know we average like three yards a carry. You know, 
consistent pressure all game. But like when they struggle, Joe Burrow is it's he's has like four sacks in one half. Like they allow eight, nine, ten sack games. Like it's nothing. Like when they go bad, they go bad. That and then Eli Apple talked all that mess the whole entire week. The whole week. Burrowhead, this and that. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling torched him. <laughs> That's the, he's like the 97-cent store version of Tyreek Hill. <laughs> he, we saw him in Green Bay. He'd have one 60-yard catch every three weeks. That would go for a touchdown. And then he'd drop like three others. <laughs> he had 116 yards and a touchdown against him in like one half. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I mean, uh, Eli Apple couldn't even guard uh, the Justin Watson dude as well. I mean, that Taylor Britt held his own for being a, you know, a third-round rookie in the playoffs. Uh, but that's what it was. It was the, their DBs reverted back to being their DBs because that was the only weakness of their defense because you know they had early season injuries in their secondary with Chidobe Wuzier going down, and the other, uh, Kim the other one's name, but he went down for the year as well. Then the O line, which you know, it was that right side that just, as we saw in the Super Bowl, just collapsed. They had two backups. With the, I mean, Hakeem Adeneje. I don't know how you bring him back after how he played in the 2021 playoffs. Like, he just, like, that was terrible. Like, I could beat Hakeem Adeneje one-on-one. Like, <laughs> me and us three could beat him one-on-one. <laughs> That's a bold statement. Like, very bold. <laughs> and that Max Scarpe, I was really surprised that he was their backup guard because like when he was with the Texans he struggled it was just I I knew it was going to happen it was just when and then that's what happened because they couldn't even run the ball either I mean Joe Mixon was just getting <laughs> in the backfield as soon as he got the ball it was just rough I mean, when you were watching this game there was sometimes, there was one play that I remember in particular, I don't remember when it happened but it was Chris Jones going against a double team, and he literally drove the guard and the tackle into Joe Burrow's lap. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw that. That was that was terrifying. Yeah, like, that was terrifying. How do you not even like stop him a little bit on that? It's just like I've I just never seen it like that before. It's just like when they like it's scary. Like I really want to see Joe Burrow play playoff football where he doesn't have to run for his life, where he could just really kind of. Relax, be relaxed in the pocket and take his time. Like I'm tired of having to see Joe Burrow like have to run around and do all this and play like such a cerebral game where he has to get the ball out at this specific time or else he's just gonna get hammered. Like I just can't describe that offense. Like it's just when they go bad, they go bad. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it's like they got a bunch of JV players out there. Yeah, I mean. Or a couple weeks ago, I was saying about the Bengals is that if they want to win football games, they have to be able to run the ball. And like you were saying, Joe Mixon was just stopped immediately every time. He had eight rushes for 19 yards. Um, you know, Piran had more, right? Uh, barely five rushes for 22. Yeah, the only one that could so, run the ball was Burrow. Yeah, and he had four for 30, so he barely ran the ball well either. His knees made out of cardboard. Uh huh. I mean, it's just it's so much of a struggle for this team when. They can't block, and that just shows how important offensive lines are. I think that's a huge reason the Eagles are as good as they are is because their offensive line is just so good, and the same reason the 49ers were as good as they were because their offensive line was just so good. And, you know, the same reason the Chiefs are. And 
What's weird about the Chiefs is the Chiefs never seem like they have the best offensive line in the league. They're like never even close. It's a it's always a mismatch patchwork of guys, and it usually doesn't show up until they're playing like the best teams possible. I what, what do the what do solid. the Bengals need to do to be at that type of level where even if they have patchwork offensive line where they can still be an effective enough to give Joe Burrow a little bit of time? Like what what needs to change for this offensive unit? Got to be smarter. Like last year in 2021, they had a bunch of like if we're doing only like a grading scale from like you know A to F. They had a bunch of D guys out there, like, you know, Akeem Adenage, Trey Hopkins. Uh, who else is there? You know, Jonah Williams, uh, Quentin Spain, and whoever was their right guard that didn't do a good job. They replaced, you know, a bunch of D-tier guys with C-tier guys. And Alex Kappa, who was the weak spot of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line. Ted Karras, who's been – which he was – Solid for them this year, but he's been like a, you know, a sixth offensive lineman, part-time starter, and then Lyle Collins, who's it's been very clear that he's been on the decline. He's been getting injured. Then he tore his ACL and missed the playoffs. Why would you sign those three guys to be? Like, why wouldn't you? If I were them personally, I would have drafted offensive lineman with their first-round pick, maybe even traded up. They could have gotten a guy like Zion Johnson, who was pretty good this year for the. Uh, Chargers. And then I would have went out and got better players than that. I mean, why are you why are you gonna go out and spend fifty plus million on guys like that, like D C tier guys? It's just they. I feel they need to redo the offensive line again. Mm-hmm. Lyle Collins is done. He's thirty years old now, around that age. He's coming off a torn ACL. That's a giant hole at right tackle. This Jackson Carmen dude might be better than Jonah Williams. I don't like Jonah. I never have. He was complaining about in the drafts. Teams wanted to put him at guard because you know he has very short arms and he's not very strong. You got Ted Karras, which I think they should stick with him. They have Cordell Volson, I believe, is a rookie. But why, if you're going to draft a rookie and have him be a starter, why why would you do it with a fourth round guy when you do it with a first round guy? They drafted a safe, uh, what safety? They didn't even use him. Mm-hmm. They have Jesse Bates and um, Von Bell was playing for. Yeah, there's no reason to draft the safety. You have those. It's just they just botched it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you look at a lot of these teams that you know make make do with what they got. And I think about also the Rams from a couple years ago when they were hurt a lot of the time. There's one person that stood out. It's it's when you're doing your tier ranking. I think if you have one A tier offensive lineman, that helps everybody else on yeah. the O line. Like, so much. Andrew Whitworth, when he was playing with that injured, like, third, second, third group guys, like, he was the only starter for that Rams team, they still made their offensive line work because Andrew Whitworth was yeah. out there helping lead it. When you got one guy that's a leader like that and just go out and dominate his guy and not need any help, makes it a lot easier for the other guys. Mm-hmm. And you think about these Chiefs teams that have been in the past, Mitchell Schwartz and Mitch Morse being out there, guys who are leaders and are just those A-tier of offensive linemen it boosts the group so much more. I think that's just what the Bengals need to do is find an A-tier offensive lineman. And I think they thought they were doing that with L. Collins. You know, there was points in his career where he was an A-tier offensive lineman. He was one of the best offensive linemen in the league. But to your point, he's been hurt and injury-prone and just obviously on the decline these past couple of years. I don't know why you thought he would still be that A-tier offensive lineman all of a sudden. Most guys don't come back from what he's coming back from. 
you know, there's a very select few guys, and he has had problems coming back from injuries in the past. So I just don't understand where they thought that eight-tier offensive lineman was in that, and I think that's going to be their biggest key this offseason is finding that guy for them. Uh, hopefully they do it. Hopefully, you know, they learn from their mistakes this offseason. But, you know, besides that, that's one of their very few weaknesses on this team. This team is a Super Bowl winner if they have a good offensive line. Yeah, they were one the last two years. Mm-hmm. And that's been the downfall for them the past couple of years. Uh, over to the other sideline, I want to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs a little bit. What what was their biggest key to winning this game besides Chris Jones and that defensive line? What what made them win this game? The penalties, man. Penal- the penalties won them, won them that game. I We'll get to it when we get to it, but, you know. Let me talk about it now. Go for it. That, the, that, that looked rigged. That looked scripted. That that ref with the the white head official who was calling that game, he has he's always been notorious for coaching. Uh, I'm sorry, refing um, Mahomes' you know divisional games, playoff games, championship games, whatever. He is notorious for giving this man calls, and and everyone's gonna give you know give a lot of crap to um, who was it? Fifty eight on the Bengals. I forget his name. Uh, Joseph Asai. Yeah. yeah, they're gonna give him a lot of a lot of crap for you know. Pushing Mahomes and whatever, but he had big plays in that last few five minutes, especially in the fourth quarter. He had a lot of good plays in that last five minutes and then makes that small mistake and actually, you know, almost hyperextends and tears a ligament in his knee. Like, it's crazy. Like, the calls were horrible, horrible all game on both sides of the ball. But then, like, right towards the end of the game, the Chiefs kept getting more and more and more and more and more calls. And it it just it doesn't seem right. With everything adding up, it just it didn't seem right. And I mean, whatever. Like it could be that the refs were paid off or whatever, or because the stadium in Arizona is called State Farm Field. Like and Mahomes has a deal with State Farm and maybe this is more money for them and whatever the case may be. But it it's annoying. It's annoying to see games that close with teams that good and with teams that you want to see, the Bengals, and don't want to see, the Chiefs, in the Super Bowl. Like, it's it's like seeing Golden State in the NBA Finals every year. You know, yeah, they're good. We get it. Whatever. But, like, it, it was fun seeing the Bucks in there, you know? It was fun seeing the Suns in there. Something new. Like, the, Chief, like the Chiefs are – I'm not going to say they're the new Patriots because they didn't have no Tom Brady – I'm not gonna count Mahomes out like you were saying, but it's we need change. You know what I'm saying? But we need to do it the right way, not making horrible, horrendous calls or having a script to follow. Because I I indeed think that there was a script that was followed to make to make sure that Mahomes was there in Arizona, and he's gonna make money for himself, but also these networks because of the State Farm whole thing, whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't like saying the NFL's rigged and that script, but like that game is just a perfect example of. I mean, there was, I believe there was like eleven penalties on Cincinnati compared to like four on the Chiefs. I mean, that one player they gave him a whole extra down, for Christ's sake, and then of course on that extra down it was holding, but and then there was multiple times late in the fourth quarter where Joe Burrow just got smacked. Mm-hmm. After he threw the ball, like way after he threw the ball, and they just didn't call it. I mean, of course, it had to come down to 
Joe, I mean that that one was a legit penalty that Joseph Osai played, but like the whole game it was just like so many penalties on the Bengals over and over. It was just you could tell it was a little something was up. It was definitely home field advantage if you want to call it that. But other than that, I mean, what won the Chiefs game was that they have the potentially when he retires the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. That was an all-time performance, in my opinion, on one ankle. I mean, a high ankle sprain. Usually, you know, injury you miss four, four to six weeks. He went out, no turnovers, 285 yards, two pass touchdowns, and ran for a first down to get them in position to have that penalty and have that kick. I mean, everyone kind of out Burrow had. The mayor of Cincinnati was like, oh, Joe Burrow's his father. I need a DNA test. Everyone, everyone just... Wanted to chime in and just say their part. And Mahomes just was locked in. You could see it when the game started. He was not going to celebrate. He wasn't going to do his little weird walk that he does. He was locked in and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Brittany was quiet. His brother was quiet. He had those. They were well-behaved for once <laughs> until the end. <laughs> he was not going to lose that game. I could see that in his eyes. He did not, He was not going to lose that game. I just need Hassan Reddick to just go on a mission next <laughs> Never week. Never knew Hassan just... Reddick was this good until this year. Yeah, like, I need that man to go on a mission He's this next week and take this man out. <laughs> uh, you know, going back, I don't think the NFL is rigged, but I also think that the rules and the way the referees view the game needs to be, like, clarified. They need to – every penalty – needs like exact times on it like everything needs to be done the same way and i think a lot of the times the nfl rules and penalties are just so like you can call it however you want as long as it's generally in this type of rule so the refs are all going to be different Mm -hmm. it's to each to their own discretion that's what i was trying to think of you know it's every rule is to their own discretion so of course it's never going to be the same of course something's going to look rigged because the refs aren't ever going to call it the same we need to make sure that the refs call everything the same. So each penalty needs to be it really needs to be narrowed in on. Find out exactly what that penalty is. You know, understand, make sure the refs understand what that penalty is and that it's the same for every ref. Because right now it's not. It's obviously not. You saw it in this game. So it I think, you know, a lot of people are saying it's rigged. I can't, I can't say that's true. I nothing proves that yet. But at the same time, they need to crack down on the refs and make sure they are calling, ex- make sure they know exactly what they are calling each time, because right now it looks like they don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's rigged, but I definitely feel the league has teams, certain teams that they want to mm-hmm. be in the spotlight. I mean, these refs. I mean, this has been a bigger issue than we've ever seen before. It's they need to fix it now. I don't. We'll see. I mean, and every year, every offseason, they're like, oh, yeah, we updated all these rules and made all these changes with the refs to make the game better. And then every year it's, you know, honestly, I will say this year the refs were all right up to, like, recently. You know, compared to past years, there's been a lot more times where I've complained about the refs. This year I feel like I relatively was calm with the refs most of the year, up until now. And and other than Bears games. Yeah. Yeah. So they just got screwed over this year. They really wanted, the NFL really wanted them to get the first overall pick. So. Hey, I'll take it. Uh, hey, Lovey's on our side, man. Forever he is. and always. That That's man, all I gotta say. That man knew in his head, he's like, if I lose this today, maybe they'll hire me. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Who is each of you guys' offensive MVPs? Josh, we'll start with you. I have Jalen Hurts. He was a dog, man. I mean, you know, there were some problems with him overthrowing A.J. Brown, like especially on one of the plays. Like, you can't overthrow him on that. Like, that's a free touchdown. They win by more if he makes that. But he had a heck of a game. Going with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, just absolutely willed his team to victory on a bad ankle. Uh, I went with his top receiver in that game, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think, you know, without his performance, his, you know, one big performance every three weeks, like he said, uh, this game goes a different way for this Chiefs team. And I think he stepped up big time for a team that needs a different receiver every week to step up big time. This week was his time, and he played well. Uh, Josh, who's your defensive MVP? Chris Jones, Kansas City. He had a monster of a game, and he was a monster that whole game. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Son Riddick, I mean, he basically ended the game. I mean, he's had two sacks in both playoff games. He also had a bunch of pressures as well, three total tackles. Just an absolute dog, I mean. Yeah. I'd never, I knew he was a good player before this year, but I never realized he was this good. I mean, for a 4-3 outside linebacker to have 20 sacks on the season, including playoffs, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went with Hassan Riddick, too. I think what he's done in this playoff so far has been – you know, single-handedly charging this Eagles defense. You know, he gives them energy with a lot of his high-energy plays. You know, it's it's very Von Miller-esque on that Denver Broncos defense, and I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he's doing. And I think this couple of weeks, people have finally started seeing it when he's in the spotlight. Uh, Josh, who's your donkey of the week? NFL refs. We already don't know that. Saglin? <laughs> uh, I'd say for my donkey of the week, I'm going with Eli Apple. Talked all that mess the whole week and went out and played absolutely terrible to the point fact that his mother had to delete her Twitter. Bahamas on three. <laughs> yeah, I went Eli Apple, too. I think for the same reasons, you know, he's for you to talk that much, you know, you have the whole world against your team because of that. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to support you guys. And I think that goes a lot into each game, too. You know, it's that energy that you're feeling. And if you feel like everybody's against you, you can't help your team. And I think, yeah. you know, that's a lot of a lot of fingers pointing at Eli Apple. And I think it's do so. No. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he also forgets that he was one of the main reasons why his team lost in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so bad that people were accusing Cooper Cup of being racist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh, who's your big man of the week? I got the Kelsey brothers. You know, they're going to make history. So is the mom, and it's going to be a good matchup. But, you know, like uh, like Travis said, mom's not going to lose at all. So <laughs> Go with Trent Williams just for absolutely sunning a grown man on the field. <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> Ragdolling a man. <laughs> go with that. I want Chris Jones. I love Chris Jones. I hope he wins the defensive player of the year. I think he deserves it. Um, he had another phenomenal game, really fun to watch, one of the most dominant defensive linemen in the league. All right, we're going to take a quick break here to set up our next segment. Uh, I'll give you guys a little rundown before we start the break here. But last week we did the top four foods for each playoff team. We rated them, decided who we thought was going to win based off that. Well, this week we have the actual food with us. We got some barbecue for Kansas City, and we got a Philly cheesesteak for Philly. Uh, Sackley is going to go live on uh, TikTok, and we're going to have a little battle here, and that's how we're going to predict who wins the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's a Blue Jay Boys Big Boy special here. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. How's everybody doing? Like the intro said, you're listening to the Blue Jay Boys show on WRSE. If you are just tuning in, you must just talk about the AFC NFC championship games that happened this weekend. Uh, and we went through our offense MVP, defense MVP, uh, big dog of the week, and also our donkey of the week. 
Uh, now we are doing our Super Bowl food matchup. This is something that we're going to try to do every week. Uh, find a couple uh, foods from a matchup happening that week or happening soon uh, and pitting them against each other to predict if who's going to win that game. This week, because we're doing the Super Bowl, we got some Kansas City barbecue fries from Firewater Barbecue. Uh, going up against a Philly cheesesteak against Jersey Mike's. We thought it was going to be from this other place. What was the name of that place? Pardon my cheesesteak? Yeah, it was a scam. Yeah, they uh, took our 15 buck- <laughs> bucks uh, cheesesteak, uh, and there was no store where they said there was a store, so we had to settle for Jersey Mike's, but I still think it's going to be pretty good. Uh, we're going to take a bite, taste each uh, product. Uh, after we taste each one, we're going to give a review of that product. Uh, and then we'll taste the other one, give a review of that one, and then we'll predict who's going to win that matchup based on which one we like better. So to start us off, we wanted to start with the Philly cheesesteak from Jersey Mike's. Josh, you want to hand out each piece here? Sure, I got you. It's looking pretty good. Uh, if you guys aren't watching on TikTok Live, looking like a pretty classic Philly cheesesteak. Some cut-up steak here, white uh, cheddar, you said? Uh, some onions, some peppers in there on a cheddar toasted uh, bread. That was a good choice by you guys. Good pickup. All right. All right. Let's see how it is here. Oh, that's pretty good. You were worried about the white cheddar, Josh. I think it's pretty good. I think it helps it. It's not that bad. Yeah, pretty good. Obviously not an authentic Philly cheesesteak, but still pretty good. Those an authentic Philly cheesesteak. If we could get that right now. I think that would win by far. I love me a good Philly cheesesteak. It's pretty good. We had it sitting out for like an hour before this, so it's probably not the best that it could be. Peppers and onions are nice, not overpowering. Very good. Yeah. Well done. The guy did a good job. (laughs) The one guy that was working there? That too, but yeah. yeah. But it's not bad. I thought the white American would ruin it, but it's actually pretty good. I like the peppers and onions, and the meat's not terrible. It could be a little bit more seasoned, but the bread helps it with the nice crust of cheese on top. Yeah, definitely. I agree. The bread is also kind of seasoned, so that helps. If you guys were to give it a rating on a 1 to 10, what would you rate it here? I'd give it like an 8.5. That's, pretty high. That's higher than I was thinking. Mm, we're very low standards. <laughs> I'll give it a, a 8.3. Three. Yeah, I think I'd put it like a 7.8. You know, it's good. It's not great. Um, You know, I don't know if this really represents the true Philadelphia Eagles. I think we really need to get a Philly cheesesteak for that. So, you know, maybe I'll take that into account into my final ratings. But, you know, right now I'd say a 7.8. You know. All right. Let's move on to the barbecue fries. Exactly. You want to take a bite, pass it around. Just a load of barbecue pork on top. There's also a couple barbecue sauces, a ranch, and also a cheese sauce. These look immaculate. They're my favorite thing from Firewater. Uh, We probably could have been a little more fair and just gotten regular barbecue, but these are way better and way more fun, so we wanted to try something else. First thoughts on it, Sackley? Very well seasoned, nice and smoky, sweet, and it's very delicious. The fries are all at the bottom, dude. You got to dig for them. Dude, you're taking forever. Grab the fries. Sorry, bro. Drag them Josh, what are we thinking? <laughs> oh, my God. 
Watching yep. TikTok, you might have seen his reaction there. He had to fly backwards. Very the, good stuff. Those fries are insane. If it's, anyone's looking for some good, like, comboed <laughs> fries, Firewater's the place. Yeah, if, if these were fresh, like, again, we were saying before, we had them sitting out for, like, an hour, so they're not the freshest. These were fresh. I don't think very much stuff beats these. No, honestly. Zach is going in for second bites here. I'm going in for seconds as well. I agree with, like I said, the smokiness is really good. It's real nice and heavy. That's what I like for barbecue. If they were fresh fries, it would probably, oh, my God, it would have kicked the water so hard. Um, You know, I really like, I'm not too crazy about the ranch. The cheese is good, okay. but I do like the mix of flavors. It is pretty good. I like that. Yeah, I mean, these are fantastic, like I said. My favorite thing from Firewater. Barbecue pork is amazing. It's not too, like, stringy, but it's also, like, not chewy in any parts. Yeah. You know, the fries, seasoned awesome. Again, if they were a little warmer, even better. Uh, I love ranch. Ranch is one of my favorite things. I could put ranch on everything, so I'm happy that it's on there. So selective on what we put that on. Yeah, fair enough. Josh, what would you rank these? 9.5. 9.5, that's high. Yeah, I'd give it a 9.6. Yeah, I'd probably give it a 9.5. I know I said it was high for Josh, but <laughs> these are fantastic. I love them. Uh, based on those ratings, I think we have a very clear winner here. The barbecue fries beat out the Philly cheesesteak, sadly. you know, I think if the cheesesteak was going against like almost anything else, it would have a pretty good chance at winning. Yeah, I'd say A so. real Philly cheesesteak, yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, okay, I'm going to bump up my rating of a 7.8 to like an 8.3 because like I know a real Philly cheesesteak would just be better. Yep. So that's fair enough. Uh, you guys can, we'll post something on Instagram. You guys can vote for whichever you think is better on Instagram. We'll also do that when we post the YouTube video. Um, so be uh, write a comment on that. Tag three of your friends. Uh, we're going to pick one of those comments, and we're going to give away a $10 gift card from Firewater Barbecue. So stay tuned for the post on that. Uh, again, tag three friends. Tell us which one you think would win in your battle, and we'll give out a free uh, $10 gift card to Firewater to one of the random lucky listeners. All right, moving on from the food review, we're going to talk a little bit about the head coaching carousel that's been happening lately. Uh, we had two big coaching hires today. Uh, one of them hasn't fully gone through yet. Uh, that one would be Sean Payton to the Denver Broncos. Josh, how do you feel about this? I think that's a good pickup for them. Um, you know, Super Bowl champ coach. Um, I think he, he can give a lot to Russell Wilson. Um, I'm not going to say he's going to make the next Drew Brees because you can't really replace Drew Brees like that. Um, but I think he's going to give a lot of a lot of uh, knowledge to Russell Wilson about how to perfect his game or get back to where he was, not being as athletic, but, you know, being older and wiser especially at the quarterback position, which is, you know, the leader position. Um, so I really think that the Broncos really won this trade. I mean, the Saints got two picks in return. Um, but overall, I think the Broncos really, really got this. Uh, nice. They got they got this in the bag. Um, not saying that, you know, we're going to see them in the Super Bowl next year, but they'll have a better season because Sean Payton, I think, is, you know, wiser, better coach. Um, and he could take the team far. Mm -hmm. uh, because of Sean T uh, Payton's contract with the Saints, uh, like you said, this has to be a trade technically. 
Uh, the projected trade was a first-round pick this year, the, Bron- the Broncos' first-round pick this year, which is number 29 right now because it was originally 30, but because the Dolphins have to forfeit their pick and moves up one spot. Um, and then a, I think we said a second-round pick next year for Sean Payton and a third-round pick next year. Um, yeah. Exactly. Do you feel like that value is too much for Sean Payton? Uh, do you think that's too much for a head coach in general, or do you think this is a fair trade? I think it's a fair trade. I mean, it's a pretty late first round pick. It's a. It fills a desperate need. It feels like arguably the biggest weakness was Nathaniel Hackett. So I'd say it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Sean Payton has proven to be a winner uh, in the past. You know, um, those Saints teams were obviously better with him. I think you look at what the Saints were this year without him with a different head coach, and it was just a different team. The vibe was different. I think Sean Payne is one of those guys that just brings a different culture with him when he becomes a head coach somewhere. I think that's just going to turn around. That's exactly what this Denver Broncos team needs. Because going into this season, I thought the Denver Broncos were contenders. I really thought they had a shot to go to the Super Bowl. They looked like that on paper. And you saw what Nathaniel Hackett did to their culture, and it just kind of killed them. Uh, And, you know, I think Sackley touched on this. Those last few games of the season, it looked like a different team. It was a completely different yeah, unit. Russell Wilson had two games without Haggett, five total touchdowns, 28 points per game. No one really wants to talk about that. I mean, that was worth, that's worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I've said it before on the show, Russell Wilson is still Russell Wilson. Like, he had a bad season this year, no doubt. But you saw what he's done the past five years for Seattle, his entire career in Seattle for that. You know, he's been an MVP contender multiple times in his career. He has the ability to be that again. He just needs the right coach behind him. And I think Pete Carroll's a fantastic coach, and that was a lot of what Russell Wilson's success can be, you know, garnered to. But I think Russell Wilson can do that with another coach. It just needs to be the right coach. And I think, you know, Sean Payton is the guy for that. Moving on to the other head coaching hire that we had today, D'Amico Ryans is signed to the Texans. Uh, Exactly. How do you feel about that one? I think that's a very good hire. I mean, former player goes back to his former team. He, we saw what he did this, what he did this year with uh, you know the 49ers defense, also last year as well. He's young. He's smart. I think he brings. He'll bring a good offensive staff with him as well. I think it was a great hire. I just hope the Texans give him, you know, more than one year. Previous to their other two first time or African American head coaches, so. As we know, this is the most dysfunctional organization in pro football. I think this is a step in the right direction to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of rumors have been going around with this hiring. Um, you know, some crypt- cryptic J.J. Watt tweets. Uh, people are saying that J.J. Watt may be a part of this uh, coaching staff. How would you feel about that? Do you think that changes things even more for this Texans organization? Yeah, he'd be a great D-line coach. I mean, he's a smart guy. He's a young guy. I think he'd be a good addition to the coaching staff there in Houston. Yeah, I mean, J.J. Watt is J.J. Watt. He's, honestly, when he was healthy, one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Oh, yeah. Not not just of this era of all time. He's yeah. Lawrence Taylor level. I think he's obviously first ballot All-Famer. You know, and I think, again, he gets put up there with Lawrence Taylor, you know, the uh, all, those all-timers. And... I think having him, even if it is just as a D-line coach, you know, some people have been saying as high as defensive coordinator, which would be, you know, almost as crazy as Jeff Saturday being hired as, hmm. you know, uh, interim head coach. But I guess we've seen Jeff Saturday hired as an interim yeah. head coach before. So that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities. But no matter where he is on the staff, you know, 
I think that, again, is that same idea. It brings a different culture. And I think not only for the team it brings a different culture like the Broncos need, for the city and for the fan base it brings a different culture. They're going to be excited to watch Houston Texan football if D'Amico Ryan and J.J. Watt are two of your coaches. Yeah. That really brings a lot of energy to that franchise, and I think that's something they really need right now. Uh, it's something beyond drafting a young quarterback. They need the energy now. <clears throat> the, other th- uh, the third head coaching hire that happened recently was Frank Reich to or, uh, yeah, Frank Reich gets hired. Um, Sackley, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I thought it was a good hire. I thought personally, still Steve Wilkes did enough to be retained as the head coach. I mean, he took a team that I thought was the worst team in football. And they were fighting for their to win the division. If they would have won Week 17, they'd win the division. But, you know, 6-6 six and six record with that team I thought was pretty impressive, but they felt not. I mean, this team does have a good defense. They've had a good defense. Maybe an offensive mind head coach like Frank Reich can, you know, finally get them in an offense that can compete. I mean, I think this team is going to win their division next year. This it being the worst division in football, we'll see. Uh, but... Overall, I mean, I like Frank Wright. I thought he was a good coach. I wanted the Bears to hire him over Matt Nagy back in 2018. And am I mad with it? I think it's a solid hire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Frank Reich's a really good head coach. I think he got a bad rap when he was in Indianapolis. Um, for this Panthers team, like you said, they were really close to winning the division, and obviously it wasn't a very competitive division. But do you think Frank Reich puts them over the hump, or what else do they need to do to help him? be where he can be as a head coach they just need a quarterback that's all this team needs they've been last two years they've been they've had the 31st ranked quarterback play they've had what i believe eight different starters with cam newton sam darnold baker mayfield pj walker who else are we forgetting Uh, kyle allen somewhere in there kyle allen (laughs) and yeah that's five just right there they they need they just need to find a quarterback. I don't know who that's going to be. They might have to trade up. They might have to trade for someone. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for as long as Cam Newton hasn't been there, it's been an issue for them, and it's something that they need to address right away. Do you think this is a team that, because of where they are, it's a veteran quarterback situation where they're going to try to get a veteran quarterback, or do you think they're still going to try to play it young and get one of the young guys in the draft? They need a young guy. I mean, they've tried this whole veteran quarterback thing the last three days. Uh, three days, sorry. Three years. They tried Teddy. That didn't work. They you know, got Teddy to replace Cam Newton. That didn't work. They traded for Sam Darnold to replace Teddy. Then, okay, Te- Sam Darnold didn't work out. So then they uh, re-signed Cam Newton to replace his replacement's replacement. That didn't work. They traded for Baker Mayfield. And then that didn't work. Went to P.J. Walker. He played well, then got hurt. And then went back to Sam Darnold. So I think they need to go young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it, they need a culture change. Again, like these other two teams, they need that culture change, and that comes with a quarterback. When Cam Newton came into town, that was a culture change for them. They need that again, and that's what's really going to push them over the over the edge. Um, last week, we introduced another new segment. Uh, it was a draft each week, and, you know, going along with what we've been talking about on the show, we wanted to talk about what we thought were some of the best head coaching hires in the past 10 years or so. Uh, each of us have a list of about five. We're going to do our top three. If somebody picks your pick, you can't take them anymore, so you got to pick wisely. 
Uh, I think last week we started off with Josh when we did with the conspiracy theories. So this week, Sackley, let's start off with you. Who is the number one overall pick for the best coaching hire in the past 10 years? Andy Reid's the Chiefs. I mean, since he's been there, the best record in the league. Two Super Bowl appearances, one Super Bowl win, now a third Super Bowl appearance. I think you can't get any better than that. Yeah. Um, For my best coaching hire in the last 10 years, I went with Doug Peterson to the Eagles. Uh, That was my – obviously, Josh had him at his top of his list. I think, you know, along with what we were saying with these past head coaching hires is that he was a culture change for that organization. Uh, I even put in parentheses, maybe for the Jags, too. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. He just knows how to change the culture of a team, and he really knows how to play on the strengths of their teams, and that was a huge reason why the Philadelphia Eagles won that Super Bowl, especially when Carson Wentz went down and they had to play with their backup quarterback. Josh, sorry I took your pick. Who you got at number three? I got Sean McVay. Um, he was, you know, really young coming into a team that, you know, transitioned from St. Louis to L.A. or – yeah, because he, yeah, he was there during that transition. Um, real young, had some good experience. Um, they trusted him a lot, and, I mean, you know, he's won a Super Bowl. Um, and, I mean, we don't, we still don't know what he's going to do now, but I think, you know, he should just give it one more shot at the coaching and then go make his millions of dollars doing TV. But, yeah, that's who I got. Exactly. First pick of the second round, who are you taking? Yeah, Bruce Arians, the Cardinals. I mean, he made the Cardinals a powerhouse, the Arizona Cardinals. Perennial loser. I mean, if it wasn't for that 2015 Cam Newton team, they would have went to the Super Bowl. They would have went to the Super Bowl in 2014. It's just the whole team got hurt. They were on the third-string quarterback by the time they got to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Everyone forgets about that team. That team was a very good football team. Uh, you know, I felt their window kind of got shut down a little prematurely just because of age and injuries. But, I mean, Bruce Arians, he inherited the worst offense in football, made it the best, and made the Cardinals 13-3. and NFC Championship appearance, I mean, it's probably arguably, other than that Super Bowl team, the best team they've had in franchise history. Yeah, that was one of my favorite teams, you know, to watch ever, being a football fan. You know, Carson Palmer leading those teams was just fun. I loved Carson Palmer. I don't know why, but he just, he was fun. A lot of that had to do with what Bruce Arians was doing there. Uh, With the second pick in the second round, I'm going to go with Kyle Shanahan to the 49ers. Uh, I think even though they haven't been 100% successful with, you know, what they've done, they haven't won a Super Bowl yet. They've been there and they've been competitive ever since he's been there. He's one of you know the best offensive minds in the game. I feel like you know he's changed again a culture in the 49ers where they were going from a big head coach, kind of had a couple years where they struggled, where they were trying to find that identity again, and then he comes in and he helps build that identity for that team. Um, you know, you saw what they did this year with a uh, Brock Purdy, and I think a lot of that had to do with what Kyle Shanahan was doing as a play caller on that side of the ball. Um, and because of that, I got to go with him in the past 10 years. Josh, who do you got third pick? I got Matt LaFleur from Green Bay. I think, you know, he has a superstar with uh, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. And, you know, he had Devontae Adams for a while up until recently. And, you know, he had a great defense, great offense. Um, but, you know, him himself, you know, he's he was young. You know, he got a bit older over time. Um, he was young. He really knew what to do, how to direct the team, and took him in a good, uh, multi- great multiple directions every year and has really shown that, you know, he could do the same thing that Sean, Sean McVay did, but, you know, hasn't gotten close to a Super Bowl. But, I mean, he could get there. But now that the whole Rodgers thing is up in there, who knows? Exactly. With your final pick in this draft, who are you taking? This is more of a kind of like a projection that I think is going to happen. It hasn't really happened yet. But Doug Peterson to the Jaguars. 
I mean, he took the team that was back-to-back worst team in the league. Trevor Lawrence looked absolutely terrible his rookie year. This team was kind of just, you know, grinded into the ground literally by Urban Meyer. It was it was bad. And he made them the first, first year, you know, division winner, playoff game winner against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I, I think they're only going to build off that. This division looks weak again. I think they're going to win the division again and make an even deeper run into the playoffs. That's pretty good for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, with my last pick of this draft, uh, I'm taking that one year of Matt Nagy. You know, that first year that the Bears had Matt Nagy, <laughs> we thought he was the greatest head coach in history. That was more Vic Fangio of anything. Yeah, but, you know, I reminisce on that one year. And that one year, I felt alive as a Bears fan. So, you know what? I'm taking that one year. That's what I think was the best <laughs> head coaching hire in ages for the Bears. Um, For my last pick, I'm taking, correct me on this, uh, the New York Jets head coach, Robert Saley. Sayla. Sayla. He changed that organization around. He really stepped up to the plate and... Uh, you know, he obviously, as a head coach, had a say on who to draft, and Sauce Gardner was the guy. I don't know about Zach Wilson as much, but um, Sauce Gardner was a huge add to their defense. Um, you know, they need to now go out and probably get a veteran quarterback because Zach Wilson is not the answer. But overall, him himself as head coach has that program, organization, whatever that team did a whole one eighty. Um, they showed that they can compete, and they're going to continue to compete under him. And they just need to add some key parts to their team, and they'll be perfect. Well, there you have it. Uh, there is our best head coaching hires of the past 10 years. Let us know on our Instagram who you think won that draft. That's who's going to start off the draft next week. All right, it's a little past 9 o'clock here. Uh, We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA and the top 16 teams in the NBA. Stay tuned. All right, folks, welcome back to the Blue Jay Boys Show. If you are just tuning in, you missed us talk about the NFL and what's been happening in the playoffs. You also missed our food battle and us talking about the head coach ring hires going on across the league. We're going to shift gears on over towards the NBA. We're a little past the halfway point in the season. The All-Star game is coming up. We wanted to talk to you guys about the top 16 teams that are fighting in the league right now uh, as we inch closer to the playoff time. Start off, we want to start with like the bottom of the playoffs, uh, talking about the Atlanta Hawks. Sackley, what does this team need to do to start competing a little more? They're a very, very talented team. They just need to play like a team. They just want to do this. Trey Young just dribbles around. Dante Murray just dribbles around. When they actually have ball movement, they pass the ball around, they drive and kick and do all that stuff like they did in their playoff run, they're a really good team. I mean, they have a ton of talent. There's no reason why this team should be playing this bad. They just need to play like a team. Play a little more defense, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest problem with them is that they're not playing defense. They never play defense. They haven't played defense for, like, the past three seasons. Josh, how do you fix that? Uh, I mean... Obviously, it's hard to fix by saying, oh, trade this person, get rid of this person, whatever. But um, I think the one thing that you don't do to fix it or keep it the same, but you get what I mean. Um, You don't trade away John Collins. That is a huge loss for Atlanta because there's a lot of talk going on right now about that happening. And I think taking him away 
He does have some good defensive stats here and there, but it's not a consistent thing. It's a staggering um, performance from him all the time. But getting rid of him would hurt you a lot because he's, like I said, he has staggered staggered performances, but when he performs on defense, he performs on defense. Like, he can really help that Atlanta team, like, be really good. Um, you also got to tell your big man, Clint Capella, like, step up, man. You know, we signed you to this deal. You, you know, you're, you're our big guy for a reason. And, I mean, what, he was with the Rockets before Houston, right? Like, we brought you from Houston here because we saw something in you. Like, we want to see that guy and not the guy now. So it's just a lot of, like, kind of get your players amped up. You can't really ask Trey for a lot because he's like another Steph Curry. He'll barely play defense. When he does, it counts, but you're not really going to see it that often. But you're going to see him pull it from half court and point at the logo because it's going to make Sports Center. So, I mean, it's just you got to play the pieces right. And it, I think it starts with not getting rid of John Collins. Yeah, I mean – I think the biggest problem with this is what you were saying was a big problem with John Collins is that they just aren't a consistent team. There's like I'm looking at their schedule right now. They go on streaks of five straight wins and then lose the next four out of five and then do the same thing all over again all over season. They're sitting almost exactly at 500, um, like most of the Western conferences, weirdly. Um, they're sitting at right about 500, and that like directly displays how they're playing on the court. And it's not like the Bulls where you know the Bulls are going to lose against bad teams and win against good teams. Like, you expect that from the Bulls. Yeah. The Hawks, you never know what you're going to get each night. It's a different team each night. Each player is playing different each night. You know, Trey Young is probably one of the most inconsistent players in basketball. There's some nights where he looks like he could be the best point guard in the league, getting, like, 37 and 11. And there's other nights where, yeah, he'll still go out and get, like, seven assists, but he'll also have four turnovers, and he'll also go, like, one for 50 billion on shooting. I don't think I've seen him have one game this year where he shot over 50% from three. Like Every time I see the box score, he's 0 for 6, 1 for 7, 2 for 9, 2 for 9. Like He has not shot the ball well at all this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's a huge issue for your team when your best player can't even be your best player every night. You know, I think a lot of people are saying this with, you know, Damian Lillard early in his career. It's, it's really cool that you can do that, but can you do that consistently? Yeah, and now Dame is starting to do that consistently. They're just struggling to build a team around him in Portland. Yeah, um, but you know we need to see that progression from Trey Young. He's been in the league for long enough now to where he should be able to be consistent. I think he's getting less consistent. Honestly, the you know the highs are really higher than they were before, but his lows are really low, and you don't know what you're going to get from him every night. <coughs> um, you know I think John Collins is another very inconsistent player, like you were saying. There's some nights where he looks really good on offense and then won't play defense. And the next night he'll be, look really good on defense and then won't play offense. And Clint Capella is kind of the same way. Clint Capella just, they traded for him because he was such a good rim runner in Houston. Him and James Harden, that pick and roll was insane. And there's some nights where it looks good with him and Trey Young. And other nights where it looks like Clint Capella is just a giant brick standing out there. Yeah, He's kind of got Andre Drummond syndrome some nights. Yeah, Where it's just kind of like he's just a tree out there to get rebounds. And you can't have that from game nowadays where your center needs to be more versatile yeah the good teams in the league have a versatile center the bad teams in the league have guys who just stand out there like trees trying to block shots and get rebounds honestly so <clears throat> to that i think this team just needs to be consistent deandre hunter has got to be more consistent he can be a really good defender out there all the time but he needs to be able to show out on offense a little more sometimes 
Um, you know, and their bench guys have to pick it up. Onyeka Nkongwu has played really well, but a lot of that is just because he's been forced to play really well. You know, there's been times when Capella hasn't been on the court this season. You have to play Onyeka Nkongwu. And he's a guy you put a high draft pick into a couple of years ago, and he hasn't really shown anything yet that proves he could be that high draft pick. And he needs to step up and be that high draft pick that you wanted him to be. Yeah. Um, you know, all in all, I think – this Hawks team is probably the worst out of the 16 teams that are projected in the playoffs right now. Um, I, think I think you were saying – sorry, what were you No, go for it. Yeah. I think you were saying Phoenix was probably the next worst one. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Phoenix next. Uh, this Hawks team has the ability to contend with any of these top teams in the East. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that with the talent they have on their team. They just need to be able to do it. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the other eight seed on the other side of things, or if we want to go in power ranking order, let's go in power rankings order. Okay. Uh, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, we talked about them a little bit before the show. I feel like they're an extremely old team that mm. doesn't have any hope in themselves. Exactly. How do you feel about the Phoenix Suns? I mean, they've been very injured this year. Now that Chris Paul's come back, they have played some better ball, but. I do agree they are old, they are on the decline. They've been, you know, a finals uh, contender, you know, number one seed the last two years. I don't think they'll get back to that this year. I think they'll be, you know, anywhere from three to a six seed just because the West is terrible. But this team isn't winning a championship. They're not going to go anywhere. I I think at most this year they'll win a first-round playoff series and then, you know, probably bottom out in the second round. But they just have been very unhealthy this year. Once they get Booker back, that will help. Michael Bridges has stepped up his game. He's averaging a career high 16.1 points per game. Aiden, when he's been in there, has been played well. They just need to stay healthy and figure it out. They will get some assets for Jay Crowder because he's been holding out this whole season, even though he's Jay Crowder. <laughs> understand that. But, yeah. Um, I mean, Jay Crowder, like you were saying, you don't really understand the whole big thing about his holdout. I think Jay Crowder is one of the most impactful role players in the league. I think he was a lot of what made this Phoenix Suns have an identity. I think one of the one of their problems right now is that they don't have an identity. They're just kind of going out there and playing basketball. And, you know, DeAndre Ayton isn't really a player that has an identity by himself. Chris Paul doesn't really have an identity by himself. He's always been a part of teams. You know, he's never really been the team. He's been one of the best players on every one of the teams he's been on, but he hasn't been the team. You know, Devin Booker... Uh, when he's healthy, there's a little bit of an identity there. You know, you get these clutch time guys, these killers when he's out on the court. When Jay Crowder's on the court, you know what kind of team you're getting. And I think that's been every place he's been. So I think him holding out kind of holds this team back a little bit just on the fact that they don't have an identity. <clears throat> um, Jay Crowder has been, you know, the reports have been he's been shopped to the Bucks. The Phoenix Suns have allowed the Bucks to talk to him. Do you think a guy like Jay Crowder helps other teams in the same way he helps Phoenix, Josh? I think so. I mean, he's a really good utility player. Um, I feel like Drake, Jay Crowder is like Montrezl Harrell, just better. Because um, Montrezl Harrell, he bounces around from team to team. But, I mean, he's he's he steps up when he needs to, and I feel like Jay Crowder has that same role. But he just does add a better uh, a, a level. And I think... Any team he lands on, I mean, even the Bulls, he'd help us a, a lot. I mean, because it's like it's kind of like um, it's kind of like Rui Hachimura going to the Lakers. Like he'll help him, not enough to get into like the playoffs deep, or even maybe even at all. Who knows? 
but he'll still help them like progress and see where they need to fix and where like the kinks are and stuff. And I feel like Jay Crowder can do that with any team he goes to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he, like I was saying before, he's that impactful player. And I think to your point, you know, he's not going to push one of those borderline teams over, but he's going to push one of those teams that are fighting for a title over. You know, he's going to push the Milwaukee Bucks over. He'd push the Philadelphia 76ers over, saying he's that important of a role player. Um, talking about like the Suns and their age right now, what what do you think is the next step for this Suns team if they let's say miss the playoffs this year? I mean, they gotta let go of Chris Paul. He's getting too old, and I mean, they're paying him a lot of money for not being able to produce like he used to. I mean, because like guys like that who are older and know what they've done before, they kind of like pick and choose when they want to do it, you know? Because no matter what, they're getting paid, like sitting or not, like you're getting paid to to do that so um they got to get rid of some of these older guys and kind of bite the bullet and take the contract um but you know your team leader can't be deandre and you got to keep these guys healthy i understand it's random it it's not planned when they get hurt but you gotta if if someone like devin booker goes out you got to have someone better than chris paul ready to step up because he's too old booker's young he's dropping points like Luca sometimes you know and Luca's young you know you want to have someone young to know he'll drop Booker points but know his place when Booker comes back he's got to you know crank it back down and be ready for when something else happens so I think they just need to youngen up the team a little bit not a lot you know I'm not saying you know rebuild around one person but like really take a step back and realize how old your team actually is I think there's probably a strong likelihood that if the Suns don't make the playoffs this season, Chris Paul probably just retires and they don't have to worry about any of that stuff. I think, you know, he's at that point in his career where the only thing he has left to do is win an NBA championship. And if the Suns can't do that, obviously there's going to be teams that give him a shot. But if I'm him, I'm like, I have everything else. I'm not going to win an MVP at this point. That's fine. Um, You know, I don't have a championship, but honestly, that should be fine for him. He should just call it a career. People call him the point god. That's a nickname not everybody gets. Like, I would just say, you know, if the team's not competing, right off into the sunset, live life with my family, you know, do something else. I think that's – honestly, I think that's what LeBron should probably do this offseason too. Maybe if they retired together, that would be a pretty cool story. They could – Chris Paul could be attached to that then instead of just the banana boat crew, and then he could have even a cooler, you know, uh, backstory. Yeah, personally with Crowder, I mean, a few years ago, Bucks won – they had a guy like P.J. Tucker. Him and P.J. Tucker, I think he's just a better version of P.J. Tucker. If Crowder goes to the Bucks, they're winning the title this year 100%. Giannis is playing at MVP level. And with the Suns, if at the end of this year, they're not going to win the title. So what I would do personally if I were them is I would take Crowder. I would take Paul. And I'm getting Damian Lillard to come be our point guard. You get Damian Lillard in there with Booker, Bridges, Aiton, and uh, Cam Johnson. That's a championship level team. I I like that. I actually like that. Now that he said that out loud, that's a nice. I see that as a really good mesh for Damian Lillard, because I mean, you have experience with guys who've been in the finals and know what it's like. And I mean, Damian Lillard himself can. I feel like if any team, if he gets onto any team that's stacked besides the Lakers, I think he makes the finals with them, and he plays an impactful role. So I I really like that. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. The 
uh, Portland Trailblazers aren't in the playoffs, so we won't be talking about them today. You know, I don't, I don't really know where their headspace is at. Um, they're kind of one of those teams that every year they underperform and then they keep trying to retool. Um, you know, and they always say that Damian Lillard is a guy. Damian Lillard always says he wants to stay in Portland until he wins something there. Um, I don't know how much of a factor that has if they are the bottom of the league this year, though. So we'll see how his availability is looking, but I think he would be a team or a player that would push this team over the edge for sure. Um, when we were talking about you know a power rankings before the show, uh, the other eight seed is the New Orleans Pelicans, but we didn't really feel like they were that they were that low in the power rankings. Uh, we wanted to talk about the LA Clippers a little bit and their health issues and what it will take for them to really be a contender in this league. And we had them pretty low in the power rankings because of that. Josh, do you want to elaborate on that? So, I mean, we have them pretty low because they can never stay healthy. And, yeah, you could say that about any team with, like, the Lakers and Davis always getting hurt and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But the Lakers have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Like, both of these guys are animals at basketball. They're really good, and they have backup. They, you know, they... They got who? Oh, my God. I can't even remember his name. I mean, Zubac is not, like, he's not the best center in the world. Yeah, he's one of the more solid starting centers in the league, I would say. Yeah. And, I mean, they have a lot of help around them, but it's not enough to where if one of those two go out or both of them go out, they're going to keep winning games. That's not enough, you know? Yeah, I mean, yep. The big two with KP, uh, P- PG and Kawhi Leonard. You have Luke Kennard. You have Reggie Jackson. You have John Wall. You have Nick Batum, Zubak. They still have Robert Covington, right? I believe so, yeah. Norman Powell. I mean, if, if this team just stays healthy, they should come out of the West. With the way Golden State's looked this year, I don't. I just don't think Denver has it in them. They should come out. Of, we've been saying this for four years about the Clippers. This is their last chance this year. Other than that, then this whole Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, we're going to take over L.A. experiment is a giant disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you about that next. If this does end up being a disaster, the, these, this team can't stay healthy. Kawhi Leonard is back out with injury. You know, he keeps being in and out all season. Paul George finds a way to get injured again for the 18th straight season. Um what what is the next step for this Clippers team if this doesn't work out this year? They got to rebuild. They got to start new. Either you trade those two guys away and get like someone like a Damian Lillard with John Wall maybe or I don't know, maybe like a Kevin Durant or something, you know? And just rebuild around John Wall and the other person cuz I think you definitely keep John Wall. He's hasn't played basketball in a couple of years. I get that, but he's hungry. You know, he wants to play basketball. He's been out of it for a while, and I think he's missing it a lot. And, I mean, you can't say, oh, it's not showing what the numbers he's putting up. But, like I just said, he hasn't played for a while. So we have to remember that. But I honestly think they need to rebuild. I mean, it's it's bad enough you got Toronto Leonard, who won in the finals, and you bring him and sign him to a huge deal in L.A., and he cannot perform how he performed before. Why? Like, I get it. Random injuries kill him. It happens. But if he's so-called going through working with the trainers and seeing doctors or whatever and then coming back, but 
getting hurt even faster? What's going on? You know, you got to kind of like nip it in the butt as soon as possible because if not, it's just going to cost you more money. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you see the value of guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the market if they do look to shop them? Um, I see Kawhi a, a much higher uh, value than Paul George just because Kawhi Leonard's probably a little bit more consistent with uh, defense and offense. Paul George is, you know, better with the offensive side of ball. But, um, like, Kawhi, maybe, like, a first and second, maybe. May, or just maybe a, a second and a player trade. And then I just see, like, Paul George as, like, a player trade and some money. That's really it. Exactly. What are you thinking? I'd say I'd agree with that. I mean, depends on what the Clippers want. Cause all their picks are still owned by the Thunder because of the Paul George trade. So I think they'd probably want some picks. Definitely, you know, some cash. Maybe some young guys with it. But that's why I think they get it for those two. I mean, they also could trade Luke Kennard. They get some for him. Some for Batum. Powell and Powell. Yeah. yeah, all those guys if they wanted to do that. But. Yeah, nothing crazy. I mean, at this point, does Kawhi Leonard even really want to play basketball anymore? A lot of people are really starting to wonder that, and he hasn't showed that he was wanted to. Paul George, he's getting up there, but he's still still a good player. But I don't think the trade – it's not like if it was back in 2019, 2020, yeah, it'd be a ton. But at this point, not much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so many teams that would be looking to trade for these two guys would be so worried about their injury history that they're going to lowball the Clippers so much. Um, and I don't think the Clippers have any other option but to take a low ball on them. Because, if again, if they don't make the finals, if they don't even make the Western Conference finals, that's money wasted. it's a failure. Yeah. You know, that's a failure year for a team that looks like this on paper. Yep. So and it would be the third, fourth straight year that's been a failure year. You can't have that at all because that just proves how incompetent the organization is. And you just got to rebuild from the bottom up, and that starts with those two stars. So you got to take what you're going to get for them. Um, the next team that I would be putting uh, lower in my personal power rankings would be the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I would put them pretty low uh, because of everybody besides Luka Doncic. Um, Luka Doncic had 53 points in three quarters the other night, um, and everybody else was shooting terribly, uh, wasn't you know, even taking shots in general. Um, this is looking like a big issue for the Dallas Mavericks as they get closer to playoff time here again. It was the issue a couple years ago uh, and last year. Uh, what do the Mavericks need to do at this trade deadline uh, and for the future to start actually making a push for contender status? They need to get a better big man. Christian Wood was not the answer. And, you know, shout out my roommate Oliver. But he was like, oh, we're going to dominate this league. And whatever, and that's so funny. Um, and how they're gonna be, they're gonna come out of the West and make the finals and do whatever. But that's not the case. He's he's performing on and off. It's another staggered performance, and it's just, it's not gonna cut it. You're forcing this guy, this young guy, to basically slave himself away just to put you guys in the win column. And they're what sixth right now in the West. That's not. You're letting the Golden State Warriors pass you, coming out of 10th. I understand you have Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, Klay Thompson, 
But Steph Curry and Klay Thompson aren't even playing up to par what they did the years before. Draymond Green is old and probably going to retire soon enough. He's got gray hair all over him. I mean, yeah, Jordan Poole can take over the mantle, but what else does he have else to work with besides pulling up from the logo and pointing at the floor? Like, that's, it's so bad. Because what, Christian Wood leads one category, blocks, 1.3. That's it. You got Luka in every other category leading the team. That's horrible. And like you said, it, it's the, it's a team besides him. Like, and I agree with you completely. But you go out for a big man instead of Christian Wood, and you get him some help. Maybe, you know, a Damian Lillard or something like that, or a Shire Alexander from OKC. I mean, it'd be a wild trade. You'd have to probably give up a lot because he's a star of that team. But I could see something like that meshing together and working really well. So I don't know. That's just what's what's going through my head. They just got to get Luka healthy. It's a one-man team. Other than Wood, no one else on this team is good. Wood, he's been inconsistent at times, but he's been also very good at times. I mean, he is averaging 17 and 8. We could, you know, that's worth something. I mean, he's an upgrade over Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell's like the youngest, like, 33-year-old I've ever seen. Uh, I think that if I were them, I'd go after Zach Levine hard. I mean, they need, like, a good, more so off-the-ball type score. Luca's point, pretty much. Uh, get someone like him. They should have gotten DeMar DeRozan a couple years ago. That would have been great. But I'd say uh, they do need a little – Woods is playing center right now. He's more of a power forward. They need to get a big man, and they need to get, you know, a guy like Zach Levine. You know, someone like that, someone to help take the pressure off Luka and go, just go and get a bucket. Yeah, I think there's so much, like, just wrong with the way this team is built right now. It's not built for Luka. You look at the guys that are comparable to him in stats, those other MVP contenders. Nikola Jokic is averaging about the same amount of points, rebounds, and assists as Luka Doncic. Like, they're pretty exact in what they're averaging. Uh, but you look at the team that's around Nikola Jokic, and it is built for him. Aaron Gordon is the perfect power forward for Nikola Jokic. He's a guy who can space the floor and play good defense alongside Jokic, who isn't the best defender. You know, Jamal Murray is an off-ball point guard who can handle the, has good handles and is able to get himself free in situations for Jokic to pass him the ball. KCP is one of the best off-ball, off-ball shooters in the league and plays good defense. They have it built perfectly for him. You look at Milwaukee, the Bucks have the perfect team around Giannis. They have Chris Middleton, who is an all-around-the-floor scorer. Drew Holiday, who's a good passer and plays good defense on the perimeter when Giannis can't be on the perimeter when he has to be in the paint. These teams that are winning games – they just know how to build around their star players, and the Mavericks have no idea how to do that. And I think it's pretty clear. You need defense around Luka. Luka is not a very good defender. There's times where he gets blown by. You need help on defense in the paint. You also need ways for the paint to open up. You need a you know, a big man who can shoot a little bit, and, which is funny to say because they had Kristaps Porzingis. I don't know why they got rid of him. Um, because he, he didn't really fit either. You, while you need a guy who can shoot, you need, you need a Brooke Lopez type there. Yeah. That's what they really need. And they didn't want to pay him that because they he got a big deal. They gave him once they traded him the year he was hurt with the ACL. And the next they gave him a big deal. They didn't want to pay that anymore. Yeah, that, that's he wasn't really worth that to them. When they think that they can get a player who's maybe not as good as Kristaps, but can do what you need him to do. Like I said, a Brook Lopez, a Bobby Portis would be a good signing for them if they had the ability to do that. But the Bucks have those guys, and they're going to mm-hmm. keep those guys. Yeah. You know, so you have to look around. Maybe you can find a way to get a Pascal Siakam. 
that would be a really good player. For that them. would be a really and good player. And the Raptors are probably going to be shopping players this off or this trade season. Definitely, yeah. So I think, you know, a guy like Pascal Siakam, if the Lakers decide to blow it up, which people are saying they may, they've been playing well better lately, so that may change things for them. But if Anthony Davis is on the market, I would give everything to get Anthony Davis. Right oh, now. yeah. And pair him with Luka? Be the perfect duo. You just need to find those right guys. And it doesn't have to be star players. Like I said, you just have to find the right guys. And right now they're just trying everybody but the right guys. So that's that's what they need to do. <clears throat> the next team I wanted to talk about, I wanted to hop over to the East a little bit. I want to talk about the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat are a team that have been contenders for the past couple of years. They were in the finals in 2020 in the bubble. Um, and this year they look not as fun, not as exciting. They don't seem like the same team. Exactly what's different about the Miami Heat this year from the past years? They're old. I mean, you got Kyle Lowry, you know, 36. Got Jimmy Butler, he's still good, but getting up there. Uh, they, you know, they lost the P.J. Tucker. It was a very important part of their team. Uh, you know, Jimmy has missed a lot of games this year. Same with Lowry. Uh, Duncan Robinson's just never been the same since that bubble year. They paid him a lot of money, and they've just had a lot of guys in, in our lineup. They play a lot better as of late. They got off to a really bad start. Now they're, I believe, at the fifth, fifth or sixth seed. Oh, uh, sixth seed. Yeah, so they're they're back in it. They're out of the play-in, so that helps. Uh, if they they just need to get someone at the trade deadline, you know, some more depth, maybe like a Jay Crowder, that would help. That would help actually. He was on that team that went to the finals. Oh, and yeah. Who knows? That's they just need. Everyone needs to be healthy. Every time I look at them, they have a different starting lineup. They have guys I've never seen. In the starting lineup, it's they just need to all stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like they are an older team, but it's not even that they're old. It's just that their game is old. People know the Miami Heat by now. This is the same team they've had for those past four years since the bubble year. They don't look any different. They aren't coached any different. They don't play any different. You know, if they had their star players out there, like Sackley was saying, if they're not as injured, maybe that wins them a few more games, but the top teams in the league aren't going to let that slide. They know what they're going to do. You know, other teams, like, when I watch the Milwaukee Bucks, they don't look like the same team every year. There's little things that they do different that change it up and make them, you know, a different-looking team. The Miami Heat look like the same team every year. Yeah, You know what you're going to get from the Miami Heat. And a lot of it, their star players aren't, you know, you know, they don't grow in multiple areas of the game. They grow in the areas that they're really good at. But Bam Adebayo hasn't learned how to shoot yet. Bam Adebayo hasn't really learned how to pass yet. You know, Jimmy Butler still is kind of a struggler from the outside of the three-point line. Jimmy Butler still can't really shoot free throws. You know, Tyler Hero doesn't do anything besides shoot still. He can't play defense. He can't pass, really. Yep. You know, they're just not growing. They're they're getting better at the things they know how to do, but that doesn't help you when teams know what you're going to do. Yeah, because they're just on a steady plateau, you know. And team, Like you said, teams are – they already know what they're going to do and they're going to adapt, but they're not going to – they're not going to attack them the same way they attacked them before. They're going to attack them even better, you know, and really push their thumb into that bullet wound and really, like, make sure they're staying down because, I mean, that's just what it comes down to when it comes to crunch time towards that, oh, we got to start climbing the ranks right now and get into the playoffs, playing, whatever. Like, teams are going to recognize it, and it's going to, sh- you know, they're going to they're gonna bleed out. It's it's not going to look good at all, and it's going to be like, well, why are we spending all this money? You know, like, why are we wasting draft picks? And that's the one thing you don't want to 
don't want to have happen because then as a GM or a coach or whatever, now you're second-guessing, oh, maybe I shouldn't have drafted Bam. Maybe I shouldn't have re-signed Butler. Maybe I shouldn't have done this, Kyle Lowry, whatever, you know? So it's um, it's a lot of, um, what do you call it? think of the name i can't think of it man <laughs> i don't know why i'm blanking but it's like it's pick and choose you know it's you know you're either going to spend the money and succeed or spend the money and fail you know it's one of the, it's one or the other you know and it's right now it's looking like it's gonna fail you know and even though they're in the sixth seed i mean it's it's not really comfortable because even if they do get in, they're going to play, what, the 76ers? And Joel Embiid right now is on a tear. They did beat the 76ers the last postseason. So mm-hmm. they do. I don't think they'd win it this year, but they do have a mental yeah, edge. Yeah, I was going to say, not this year. I mean, Embiid right now, like you're saying, he's just, like, put some respect on his name. Like, he is going nuts right now. Yeah. Like, he wants that NBA Finals really bad. And you could tell. Respect, because everyone, he's not on the all-star starters. He's not, everyone's putting Jokic ahead of him, even though he's dominated Jokic every time they played. He's looking out, he wants some of his respect now. He's mad about the whole Ben Simmons. It was supposed to be them two right into the sunset, the championship that didn't work out. He's coming for it this year. And with the Heat, I just think they're just not that talented anymore. It's just all their teams have, you know, gone ahead of them. The Cavaliers, they went on the Adamant Mitchell. They drafted Mobley. They, you know, Garland became a star. The Bucks, you know, Giannis is still Giannis. And they haven't lost anyone really since that championship year other than B.J. Tucker. And Drew Holiday has gotten better this year somehow. He's in his 30s. Chris Middleton has taken a step back but found a better role on the team. You know, other guys are stepping up. Yeah. They're getting better. The Nets, Kevin Durant, before you got hurt, was playing at MVP level. Kyrie's finally Kyrie Irving. You know, some of the other guys that they signed, some of the other guys, you know, uh, T.J. Warren, you know, the Seth Currys of the world, Nick Claxton's having a great year. It's just these teams are just more talented than them. They have all these, like, you know, scrappy, undrafted, you know, waiver wire type guys like Gabe Vincent's, Duncan Robinson's of the world, and it's just that's not going to – it's just not as good as, you know, Mobley and, you know, James Harden, for example. It's just not going to cut. It's yeah. just what it is right now. They got great culture. They got they'll come out, they'll play hard. They're not going to beat themselves, but it's just not going to compete with them. Uh, since since you guys were talking about the 76ers a little bit, let's just talk about them right away. Um, like you were saying, uh, Joel Embiid is playing at an MVP level right now, and he isn't getting the credit for playing at an MVP level right now. Um, what what things do do this 76ers team need to do to help him? get that recognition he deserves because I think a lot of right now is that he's just doing it a lot by himself. It's him and James Harden because Tyrese Maxey has been out and Tobias Harris hasn't really been the same player he has in the past. What what does this team need to do to push themselves past the Bucks and the Nets and the Celtics, teams like that? They just got to win the big games. I mean, they'll do great against the Bulls. They'll do great against the, end of the lower teams. But whenever they play a big team, especially the Celtics over the years, they've struggled. They've struggled to beat the Heat. They've struggled to, you know, beat the Bucks. They just have to step up in big games. Specifically, James Harden needs to step up in big games. Yeah, I like this little facilitator thing he's doing, but sometimes we need the, the Houston, you know, st- 
step to the side and shoot guys behind his back, James Harden. That's what they need. They need him to step up, and then, I don't know, maybe you got someone at the trade deadline, no specific names, but just someone that can give him a little extra scoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big issues right now, and I think James Harden these past couple of years has been really struggling with the idea that he's not the number one option on a team. And I think a lot of coaches are struggling with how do you put James Harden onto a team where he's not the number one player on a team. I think that's been a lot of the big issues with these past couple teams that he's been a part of. And this year you can kind of see it starting them to start to figure out how he works. He's a playmaker, which he's not the second best player on the team. But like you were saying, he needs to have moments where he looks like prime James Harden. You know, I think that's one of the cool things about Russell Westbrook right now is that there's some games where Russell Westbrook looks really bad. Russell Westbrook obviously is not the same player. But there's games where you see him and you look like that's prime Russell Westbrook. Yeah. You know, he's doing his thing out there. And James Harden needs to do that. And James Harden obviously is playing on a much higher level than uh, Russell Westbrook, and his team is better. So maybe, you know, it doesn't matter that he does that as often. But you need it sometimes. You know, you need him to hit those double step backs, like you were saying, those fading away in the corner with two guys on him shots. And he can still do it. There's times where you see him do it, but it's not the same rate that he used to do it. And he's just got to do it more and when it matters. And I think he just needs to say, this is my team sometimes. I think sometimes... You know, everybody's so focused on Joel Embiid, but I think having this team win games will give Joel Embiid that recognition he deserves. And James Harden needs to do a little more when it matters for that to be him to get that recognition. It's a huge chain of events, and it needs to start with James Harden being better in the clutch time, like you were saying. Um, You know, the other thing is, like I was saying, Tobias Harris hasn't been the same player he has been in the past couple of years. Josh, what's, what's the move with Tobias Harris? I mean, it's either you got to shop him or you got to give him another chance. And, I mean, right now they're giving him a lot of chances. And, I mean, I'd give him a little bit more to see if he turns on that um, playoff mentality because they're going to make it, you know, like because the way with the way Embiid's performing in Harden, they're going to make it. But, you yeah. know, it's either, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to give you a few more, but if, if we don't see what we're used to seeing, then it's going to be pretty ugly. And ugly means we're going to trade you or we're going to cut you. And, I mean, they're going to want to trade him, obviously, because he has some decent player value. Um, For what? Who knows? Um, I mean, I keep bringing up Damian Lillard, but I think that'd be a good help because then I think um, <clears throat> once Lillard starts getting recognition, I think Harden will step up because he's kind of that jealous uh superstar to really be like i want the spotlight but i want it with a nice big man and Embiid is that guy his big man and but if lillard comes onto a roster like that and with Embiid, they're gonna put harden in the shadows and maybe that can fuel the fire but who knows but yeah i think they'll give him a few more uh chances um but by all-star if he isn't performing how he's used to performing then i really think the GM really needs to take a step back and play his cards right because if you can get someone else who is just as productive as Harden or just as productive as Embiid, like another big forward, um, I think that you can possibly end up in one. It would be tough, but like Psycho said, you need to win their big games. Get his Cameroon brother, Pascal Siakam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. That'd be a good. 
that's another star well, like you guys. Very versatile yeah. dude. So, but it comes down to what Sackley said. You got to win the big games. And that, that goes for any team. You know, that goes for the Bulls, whatever. You know, we can't be losing to bad teams and beating amazing teams, you know. But that's just how it goes. And But, like, you need to win those big games because that's where it matters. That's where it puts you in first. That's where it gets you that first round by so you can prep longer and be ready for the team that comes next, you know. But, I mean, I, I like that. Pascal Siakam, that would be a really good addition to that 76ers team. And I think Tobias Harris would be good in Toronto, honestly. I think they'd probably keep Fred Van Fleet and – or um, the other guy I can't remember. Scotty Barnes. Yeah. Uh, I think they'd keep them. And, I mean, they'd probably have a nice team to get them into the play-in next year. Um, but, yeah, they got to really, like, nip Tobias quick. Because they're come, we're coming up into All Star, and after All Star, then it's real like lock in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, you don't even need Pascal Siakam from the Raptors. I think OG Ananobi would be an upgrade from Tobias Harris this season. I think he plays better defense than Tobias Harris and has games where he can put up thirty points. Yeah, and I don't think Tobias Harris is doing that right now. Uh, we got about ten minutes left in the show, so we're gonna skip over some of the teams that are, you know boring like the Celtics and the Bucks. We know yeah, how they we already are. know how that's going to go. We know how the Grizzlies are. Uh but I wanted to talk about who the number 3 seed in the West is, the Sacramento Kings. Uh this is a team that a lot of people going into the season they thought they were going to be a playoff team. They thought they were going to be a play-in team, you know, right around that 7, 8, 9 range. Um they're the 3 seed right now. What what is driving this Sacramento Kings team exactly? Same Great coaching for Mike Brown first, and then, you know, you looked at this team coming in the season, you think they just didn't really have a lot of talent, but they have a lot of players. They're just very versatile. They all can shoot. They're one of the most efficient three-point shooting teams in the league. They're playing good, scrappy defense. I mean, everyone gave them a lot of flack for trading Halliburton for Demonis Sabonis, but that's worked. Uh, I mean, they're just playing good ball. They're efficient. They've played solid defense. They got a lot of good wing players, like you know Kevin Herter, Kenneth Murray's a solid rookie. Uh, they finally have a legit center now, not you know Rashawn Holmes or Willie Cauley Stein or whoever they had after Demarcus Cousins. Uh, Sabonis has played an All Star level. Fox is playing an All Star level, and they they've just been very efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I hated when people gave him flack for the Demont. I love Demontis Sabonis. Yeah, I think he's very good. I mean, he's always been a very underrated player. In he's. My opinion. He's just a little less productive Jokic. Like, honestly, when you watch him play, he plays in the same way. It's a very graceful style of play where it's, you know, you can pass out of the post. You can do things in the post that a lot of other guys can't do because they're too big. But these guys know how to use their size and use it to their advantage to also help the rest of the team grow around them. And I think that's what DeMontis Sabonis has done for this team. And when they made that trade, I I do think Tyrese Halliburton is probably going to end up being a better player than DeMontis Sabonis will ever be. But at the same time, Tyrese Halburn wasn't going to do that on the Kings. And I think the yeah. Kings realized that uh, after they had drafted him. They probably shouldn't have drafted him in the first place. I don't know why they drafted him. They already had an all-star level point guard. Like they did, They've done this the last 10 years where they just draft a point guard and they draft another point guard. Oh, we have a good shooting guard. Let's draft another shooting guard. We have a good center. Let's draft another center. They've finally gotten out of that. Mm-hmm. It's taken them all these years, but they've finally done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think Sabonis fits so much better with this team than Halliburton did. I think the Kings realized that, said, you know, it's it's not worth it to keep him around. Let's go let him blossom somewhere else. Have fun in Indiana. You're going to grow there a lot. And Sabonis came over, and it was the missing piece. 
And then, like you were saying with the draft, where they were kind of making a lot of mistakes at the draft, Keegan Murray's been awesome this season. Yeah, he's been very good. He's stepped up huge. He plays really good defense, and he shoots the ball well. Exactly what they needed, exactly what you were saying gave this team an identity this season, is that everybody can do everything, and he can do a little bit of everything. Um, And I think that is a lot of credit to the front office and the way they've been trying to, and I mentioned this before a lot about NFL teams and uh, the other NBA teams, is they've built a culture in Sacramento here. They have an identity in Sacramento this season. And I think a lot of people are noticing that, and the team is noticing that, and they're growing because of that. Um, I, I don't know if De'Aaron Fox is going to make an all-star game. Uh, I hope he does this season. I think he deserves it. Um, but there's just a lot of good guard play in the West that may keep him out of it. Um, but we'll see what's happening there. Um, another team I wanted to talk about was the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, this is a team that kind of in the same vein as the Sacramento Kings, people thought were going to be, you know, a 6, 7, maybe a 5 seed. They're sitting at the 5 seed right now, but I think they're a lot better than that 5 seed. Josh, what is driving this Cleveland Cavaliers team? It's a lot of mesh, you know. It's a lot of, you know, they're – there was some, you know, unfamiliarity and they were uncomfortable at first with the whole Donovan Mitchell, Laurie Markkinen gone now because when Laurie was there, they meshed. They got comfortable. Three seven-footers on the court at a time. You know, they had Darius Garland at point and I, who, I don't know who they had at the other spot. Um, but, you know, it, it took some time, but now they're they're meshing perfectly because, you know, Donovan Mitchell's taking lead, Jared Allen's your bi- dominant big guy, Evan Mobley's another dominant big guy you got, and then Darius Garland coming back because uh, he was hurt for a while, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, a- everything, you know, it's a slow-moving train. It's going to pick up speed eventually because they are fifth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifth in the East, and I think they can maybe take over the next spot at four. Um, which would be huge for them. Um, but I, like I said, it's like a slow-moving train. They're starting to figure out how the wheels spin with them. And it's good because you, two seven-footers, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, and you add another shooting guard on the court and or a forward, that's a very dominant basketball team right there. So, I mean, it can't take too much time, but it has to take a little bit, you know, to really get it going and add fuel to the fire just to push that train as fast as it can go full speed ahead. And then but making sure that it's that fire stays lit after all star break, because if it dies out and it, they kind of slow down, it's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Eastern Conference is so much co- more competitive than the Western Conference yeah. this year. Uh, the t- In the past, like, 10 years or so, honestly, like a whole 10 years, the Western Conference was the top conference in the league this year the eastern conferences and this Cavs team even though they're sitting at five does not show how good this team is and how good this team can be yeah uh there's been points where they were at three this season at two uh, i think out even one point they were at one for a little bit um you know they are and have the ability to be competitive and it's just that they all need to do it at the same time i think there's some games where they do do that really well and then there's other games where donovan mitchell's the only one on the court and there's other games where darius garland's the only one on the court and the games where evan Mobley's the only one on the court i think when they mesh together a lot like that hawks team we we're talking about and they do it a lot better than that hawks team um they have ability to beat any team in this league yeah i think when they are all playing at the top of their game they're better than the celtics i don't think the celtics have like what you were saying that same mesh yeah. that the Cavs have um, so I think they could be a really fun team to watch. I think Evan Mobley, uh, I, although I love what he's doing and the way he plays, I think he still needs to take a next step. 
he's playing really good right now, but it's about how he was playing last season. We need him to also take a jump with this team for them to really be true contenders. And I think if he does take that jump, he has the ability to be like Tim Duncan good. When you watch him play. That's a crazy status to reach, too. It is. When you watch him play, Evan Mobley looks so much older than he is. You know, he plays defense with this, you know, just instinct that not a lot of guys have. You know, and then he's so fundamental on the offensive side of the ball. That's why I compare him to Tim Duncan. Is He just kind of has those same kind of, you know, I see that ability in him. And if he can hit that, this team could be a Spurs dynasty. I really do think it. If you look at what they have, it looks like those Spurs teams. It does. Like, a lot. You know, Darius Garland looks a lot like Tony Parker, good playmaker who can score whenever he needs to. Donovan Mitchell is an even better Manu Ginobili, you know. Much better. <laughs> Jared Allen can be a better Boris Diaw. You know, they have the ability to be a really good team. I think some guys just need to take the next step, and they need to do it all together. Yeah. If you guys had to pick right now, what would be your NBA Finals matchup and who's winning? Got Bucks Warriors. I got the Bucks winning that. Nobody's stopping Giannis. Mm, I think we'll see the Nuggets Celtics. I think the Celtics are gonna go back. They want their their finals trophy. Um, but definitely Jamal Murray's gonna help Jokic as much as he can and lead that team to the finals because before he got hurt, they were gonna smoke whoever was in front of them. So I think we're going to see the Nuggets-Celtics. I'm going to go Nuggets-76ers. I really want to see a jokic beat matchup in the finals. I think that would be awesome. That would be That would, be, that would nice. be bring back the center. I think a lot of people have been talking about how the center's position's been dying out, and these past couple of years people have seen it grow with, era with Jokic and uh, Embiid. It's I think now, yeah. it would just cement them back in the league, centers like back into the league if they Especially play Especially with Wambanyama coming. Uh-huh, exactly. I think that would just be a fun finals. And I like what you were saying about how the Sixers want it really bad. Joel Embiid and the, or the Celtics want it really bad. Joel Embiid and the Sixers really want it too. Yeah. I think they're going to fight for it. Eagles win the Super Bowl, 76ers win the NBA finals. That'd be nuts. Now that's a sports script. That's yeah. something's happened with all those Boston teams. That's oh, a sports yeah. script. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like and comment the Instagram post on our Instagram story. If you comment on the Instagram post with three of your friends, uh, and who would win our food battle, you may win a $15 reward. So stay tuned for that. We'll announce that next show. Be sure to comment on that. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.